Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. As you're turning there, let me say this. As we're singing that last song, <clears throat> and to his arms I'll run, remember that phrase right before the last time through the chorus. And um, selfishly I thought, how long of a line will I have to wait in? Because he only has two arms, and we'll have lots of children. And then, as the song goes on, talks about looking upon his face, and I was reminded of the scriptures that we will be uh, the consummation, will you know, and things will be finished when we see his face. And I thought that we can see from a distance. And that will be enough. We all like to sing songs. Even those of us who cannot carry a tune in a bucket. We like to sing songs. I've discovered that those who can't carry tunes in a bucket... uh, oftentimes like to sing the loudest and the most frequent. But some of us like to sing loudly, while others of us like to sing but no one can hear. Yeah, I've never understood this. I guess just I've never done it. I've never thought about doing it. But some people like to sing in the shower. Anybody here like to sing in the shower? I got a few. There you go. A few hands like to sing in the shower. You know, as I was thinking about this, and, you know, I wanted to show the clip, and I thought that probably wouldn't be appropriate, and we just really kind of don't do that here, you know, video clips. But uh, I was reminded of the shower scene in Home Alone. Uh, is that one or two? I can't remember. With, with Uncle Frank, right? Frank is in the shower. And he's singing, right? And, you know, they don't show anything. You know, it was good, wholesome TV, well, relatively speaking. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, Kevin McAllister walks in, and, you know, he's he's singing, and he just records that, right? And he uses it later on in the song, or later on in the movie. Anyways, it reminded me of that. You know, whether we realize it or not, we're always singing a metaphorical song all the time. Our lives sing songs. Uh, Whether that's a a literal, verbal, audible melody that's coming or a collection of thoughts and actions uh, or a collection of actions and words that come from thoughts and hearts and minds. There's always some song that we are singing all the time. You know, the condition of our soul, our heart, you know, and our mind is, that condition is being proclaimed in a melody all the time. All the time. We sing songs because, at least most of the time, they are expressions of our very souls. Like, like, we were meant 
to make melody. Like we were meant to express in creativity and in song by our Creator. We were created to to kind of birth forth song out of expressions or as an expression of our very souls and what's inside of us. I mean, you see that. You see that all over our culture. You see that all over just the music industry today. What you see expressed in song is a reflection, uh, is indeed the soul speaking, the heart proclaiming what it believes and holds most dear. Now, I want to, with that thought in mind, encourage you to think back, even right with me right this second, to examine, if you will, in the spirit of Ephesians 5, just how connected the songs are that you sing to the posture of your heart. The songs that come forth in your mouth, come forth out of your mouth. Notice what songs you are singing this past week when you are living joyfully in the Lord. If you could think back this week and go, you had this portion of this day where I was just like, like I knew my Savior loved me and I was filled with joy. What kind of songs were coming to mind? What kind of song was coming forth? Times, what about times this past week? What was coming out of your soul in song when God was more of a distant thought? Maybe you were even ignoring Him. What songs were you singing this past week? Or if it would help you this past month or two. You know, on the Again, on the metaphorical side, and what melody have you making with your emotions? The words of your mouth. Now, I want you to see at this very beginning that there's a connectedness between the songs we sing and the position of our hearts, they don't just come out of nowhere. Whether we realize it or not, the songs that we sing were put there often, because most of us are not uh, song writers, but when songs are placed in our heart, they often, like there's kind of this, it kind of goes both ways, right? The songs that we learn and sing have an impact on our heart, and the song, then those songs come out. What kind of songs do you sing? When you leave here today, what song will you be singing? You ever been around someone who like, just feels like they left a funeral like all the time? You know what I'm saying? You ever been around someone like that? They're just, what, what kind of song are they singing? I mean, they clearly haven't watched you know, the Newsboys movie that God's Not Dead. Um, but they sing as though He is. I know all of your minds just went to the Babylon Bee of the newsboys aren't dead, um, which is maybe just as amazing as the other. 
Sorry if you're a newsboys person. Now, the danger is this. Now, here's the danger. I just want to say this from the beginning. The danger is this, is that you would fake your singing, that you would just fake a song. You would, you know, pull a Britney and lip sing it, right? You would just fake your song. The reality is, though, is that if indeed they are expressions of our hearts, then it will come out. The truth will come out. It will be revealed. It just takes time. So I'm not going to tell you to learn how to be fake and how to sing specific songs. Because if, if, if I do, then if we do, then we'll just be legalistic. We'll just be people who know how to put on a show and sing the right songs when we're supposed to sing the right songs. When we're around our church people, we're supposed to sing joyful songs because I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to be joyful in Him. And so this is what's supposed to come out. And if I don't come out, then, then people are going to think poorly of me or they might actually confront me. And, you know, and I don't want any of that to happen, so I'm just going to learn to sing these fake songs. And I, I don't want that. I don't want that. So I don't want, the text doesn't want, and more importantly, God does not want that. What needs to happen is the songs have to be real. They have to be real. But in order for our songs to be real and authentic and sincere, we have to have real faith. And real faith results in real gladness, which results in the right songs, right? So with that, let's read verse 15 through 20. We're going to concentrate on verse 19 today. Paul says this, look carefully then how you walk. What's he talking about there? He's examining your faith, examining particularly the outworking of your faith so that you can examine your faith. So look how you're walking because it's an indicator of your faith. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. So again, a wise person, that's a wise is a result of faith. Wisdom is a result of real faith. He says, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we examine your word today, that, that through the scriptures, and the power of the Spirit, we would examine our own lives. I pray for grace in doing so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the thought we've been developing over the past, particularly the past three or four weeks here, is this. Examine yourself, right? Examine yourself in order, and I'm going to tie a couple things, different things together here, but examine yourself in order to empty yourself of the world and be filled with the Spirit. That's what we talked about last week. For those who are wise, they will throw off any worldly control. So we talked about this intoxication that we talked about last week. Where he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. 
And I hope to see that that's very, very much the epitome or the, the expression of what's happening in Ephesians 2, where we're controlled by darkness. We're, we're following the powers of this world. But Paul's concern is, I don't think just simply, don't drink alcohol to the point of intoxication. His point is, don't be controlled by anything in this world other than the Holy Spirit, who we know is not of this world. Certainly, Paul is talking about chemical intoxicants. Don't, be, don't succumb to those. But Paul's greater concern here is this control of Ephesians 2, the, the darkness. Instead, we're to be filled with the Spirit. We talked about how this is a continual filling. How this is an ongoing process. I think, even in my own mind, I, I'm so prone to think of salvation as just Something that was done in the past and not something that God is still working on in me. Certainly sealed in the past, but it's still the, the working out of that is, is happening. So this, this being filled is a continual thing. And we are to be filled with Christ. Again, this, is not some, this being filled by the Spirit is not some ambiguous, emotional kind of filling, at least at its foundation, Certainly those things are impacted. Certainly emotions and affections and certainly are all wrapped up in there. But, but at its very core is this being filled with Christ. And we talk about how that's really being filled with the Word of Christ. That we would know Him. I think when Jesus is talking about being the vine and the branch and about the Father and Him abiding in the Father. What's he, how's He abiding in the Father? I think as a man, He, he knew the Word and he knew the word was not just the scriptures as just something God gave to him, but God actually revealing himself in the scriptures so that he could abide with the Father. So certainly, emotions and stuff are, are impacted by this and must be impacted by this, but, but we're to be filled with Christ by the Spirit. We understand and we talked about this again last week, that this is accomplished via God's providence and our responsibility. That it's a both and. It's not a just, well, I'm going to sit back, do my kind of religious thing, and God will make sure all this happens. Certainly, God will ensure the successful consummation or the successful completion of making us into the image of His Son, those of us who are truly redeemed. But there is also our responsibility to work and be worked through in that process, where God is doing this work, as Ephesians 2 says, in us and through us. So yes, God's providence and also our responsibility. And so the wise, we talked about again last week, that they understand that even though the, only the Spirit can do the filling, we are given the task to go after it. We are given the task to work to that end. That we would be filled with Christ. Now here, next, is what we need to grab a hold of today. Is that spirit-filled Christians are characterized by joyful and theological singing to each other and unto God. This is what we need to grab a hold of today. This is a wonderful, wonderful little passage. He's immediate, just explicitly talking about someone who's walking in the Spirit. 
Someone who is abiding in Christ. And now he's giving examples of what that looks like, right? Looks like wisdom. It looks like making most of the time. But particularly here, following this phrase of be filled with the Spirit, he's getting into this this idea of what does it look like? What are the characteristics of this? So with that in mind, look at verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So really the phrase that I just gave you summarizes the intent for this whole verse in its context. That spirit-filled Christians do this. They address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with their heart. So what's going on here? What, what's happening? What, what's, what's Paul talking about? What, okay, so when we come together, we just we need to make sure that the songs we sing are spiritual. Some of the songs need to be hymns. And, you know, I heard this as a, a little bit of an argument for like the blended worship service and the worship wars. You know, where churches are had sang hymns, and then now they all want to sing contemporary music. And okay, well, yeah, this passage gives us evidence of different. It's just, is that what Paul's talking about? I think, really? What, what's he doing? Here's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about in all of these little items, and he's talking about divinely inspired expressions of joy and gratitude. That's what Paul's talking about. Divinely inspired expressions of joy and gratitude. We'll get to the gratitude part next week. To use John Piper's phrase, He's talking about expressions of being happy in God. That this is what it looks like when someone is filled by the Spirit. This is what they do. These are expressions of this filling of the Spirit. These are not just things Christians do. These are the results of what the Spirit does. Right? Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, if you've even been in this church for any amount of time, you will learn that it is easy for Christians to just sing songs. And they're not expressions of their heart. They're just religious activity that they do. And that's not what Paul's talking about. These these expressions of joy and gratitude are the immediate result, the immediate result of this being filled by the Spirit. This being filled filled with Christ by the Spirit. What happens is you sing songs of praise to God. But the truth is, the Spirit fills us with Christ who is the truth. And then this results in expressions of joy, singing joyful and theological songs. You need to get this from the beginning. Truth of Christ in us necessarily results in the truth of Christ joyfully coming out of us. Right? So the truth of Christ in us necessarily results in the truth of Christ joyfully coming out of us. Necessarily. Spirit-filled, this is what happens. Right? So you can walk that backwards. If this is happening, like true, joyful expressions of faith coming in song, whether you can carry a tune in a bucket or not, 
whether you like to sing in the shower or not. These tunes come out of us. Making a melody. Indicators of filled with the Spirit. And of course, right, the inverse of that would be true. If this is absent, then what does that say about my being filled by the Spirit? So the truth of Christ in us necessarily results in the, the truth of Christ joyfully coming out of us, even in song. So this joyful expression that Paul's talking about here, this overflowing truth, if you will, is reminiscent of what in Ephesians? What's this? What would, if this, is an, if this, this praising God because of the filling of the truth of God by the Spirit in Christ, what's that sound like? It sounds like Ephesians 1. This is, and we're gonna, we'll come back to this a little bit later. But here, Paul's encouraging us to, uh, sorry, at the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, Paul's encouraging us to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What's he saying? He's saying... Sing a song. Sing a song about God. Why? And he gives us all the lyrics right there in Ephesians 1. Uh, let's, let's, keep, let's keep pressing this. There are five participles, okay? You know what a participle is? A participle is like, like a verb that's being used as like an adjective or like a noun. Here they're being used as adjectives. So there's, there's multiple of these descriptors of what this looks like to, to, to be filled with the Spirit. We're only going to get through two or three of these today. But here in this particular verse, you see these ideas. This, uh, depending on your translation, like the ESV says addressing one another. Some say speaking to one another, so on and so forth. The, the, there's a reason why I think the ESV says addressing one another. Because in this passage, like Paul's not just talking about like songs, although that's part of it, like it's singing, he's also including this idea of speaking to each other. Like what kind of song is that? What kind of collection of words and what's the summary of our saying? Like what kind of song are we singing but speaking it? So the ESV says addressing. I think that's helpful. But I want you to see this. There's kind of two halves. So he says, speaking to one another in spirit-inspired psalms, hymns, and songs, singing songs, and making music with your heart to the Lord. All right, so what, what's he, let's just kind of break these up. Again, is Paul like giving us an example of different kinds of songs we need to sing? Is that Paul's concern? I don't think it is. So he says, speaking in psalms and songs, I think, is the same as singing songs and making music. So speaking in psalms and songs, psalms and songs, right, is the same as singing songs and making music. So again, I don't think Paul is telling us to speak these things to each other and then sing them to the Lord, right? You could read the text and go, all right, we should address each other this way, and then we need to sing, each other, sing to God these songs. We speak to each other, we sing to God. I don't think that's Paul's point. I mean, that would just be goofy anyways. Instead, I think Paul is basically telling us the same thing in both halves, but he's telling us to do it in two different planes, two different ways, if you will, 
on this plane and on this plane. Or if you prefer, on this axis and this axis. He is telling us that spirit-filled Christians will ultimately, like this is his point, will make joyful and theological song. That's what they will do. And they will do this in two different places. Someone filled with the Spirit will do it with two different planes. So here, we're examining our lives to see if it lines up with this calling, right? This calling to be holy and blameless, to be His children, to be adopted sons of God, to to have this inheritance coming our way, to be filled with grace and all these things. This area is great because, like, songs and what comes out is so, like, one of the, you've heard me say this before, it's such a grace of God that what comes out is an overflow of the heart, right? And so if we want... um, a window into the heart. Just look at what comes out. What songs are coming out? How are those songs coming out? So the Spirit-filled will do this. We're going to break these two in kind of these two different planes. The first one is this. The Spirit-filled will live in community joyfully addressing each other with God's Revealed truth. Joyfully addressing each other with God's revealed truth. And it will do this in community. Look, look what he says. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. But this first part, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Again, what, I think what Paul's concern here is this horizontal and corporate dimension. Like the, the corporate body of Christ. The, the horizontal plane. Our relationships with people on this level. And praising God... There's these joyful expressions of our thankfulness to God. In praising God, we consciously should be directing our worship in such a way that it edifies others. That's really the heart. That the songs that come from our mouths, the way we address, the words, the summary of our statements, (coughs) that they are aimed at edifying others. Now here's the deal. It's going to be really easy for you to just simply walk away applying everything that the text is saying to Sunday morning half hour of worship. And that's not Paul's concern. Paul's concern is not just our time here on Sunday morning. It certainly includes that. But it's not just that. So in praising God, we consciously should be directing our worship to the edification of others. So the idea of spiritual songs, hear hear me, is not one of some kind of emotional spontaneity. But instead, like Paul's purpose of, of calling these things spiritual songs and such is to focus on the source of their inspiration. That these are coming from God. 
that these songs are written by God, that they are, the content of them is orchestrated by God. Not the, some emotional spontaneity to them. So what are these songs? So if you look at these words, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, what is he talking about? Again, is this justification for having a blended worship service where you have sing you know, two hymns and two uh, Tomlin songs and call it a day? What was he talking about? No, honestly, what he's using, these are just the most common words for religious songs. <laughs> the hymn kind of denotes any festive hymn of praise. It refers to like expression of like praise to God or Christ. Spiritual song, again, simply refers to a song which God, God's acts are praised and glorified. So again, I don't think Paul's point is to outline for us different kinds of songs. Think back to the passage where the Bible says, like, uh, Jesus asks, seek, knock, right? Is he telling you, like, three different ways to pray? No, he's saying just go pray. Like, ask for it. Beg for it. Ask God for these things. He's putting emphasis on it. I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's giving us, instead of giving us three different ways to sing, he's describing the full range of singing which the Spirit prompts. That all of these things, to sing praises unto God in these different kinds. Like this is, this is the Spirit doing these things. So what are these songs? Paul's just saying these are the songs that we sing to God. That we sing about God. And we sing to Him. Now here's the, kind of the next layer of this. Is we oftentimes want to privatize our worship. Culturally, that's, that's how we think cultural. Everything, we want to privatize everything. This is my life. This is my home. This is my money. These are my thoughts. These are my emotions. And who is anyone else to have anything to say or do about those? Except insofar as they serve to make them good. We want to oftentimes privatize our worship. The typical Christian I think even in this church, has a very private view of singing songs unto God, of worship, a very private view of that. Well, my worship is between me and God. Who are you to judge my worship? Man, there was one time I sat in a conversation and questioned someone's worship, and that did not go well. Um, It did not go well. Who are you to judge my word? We praise God internally. We adore Him internally. Or so we say we do. I think we even might maybe try to spiritualize it and say like, you know, our, you know, we walk around in a dredge. Like just... Like we came from a funeral all the time. Like what? And if we try to connect that living and expression to something that's going on in our heart, well, well no, no, no. This is this is my private area of worship, and you know, and then I'm dealing with this stuff over here, and we don't see the connectedness between these things. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Paul is telling us here that your singing that your worship, that the expressions, the joyful and gratuitous expressions of your soul 
is not just for you. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's not just yours. When and why did we become so private in our worship? I, I, honestly, I, try, I, I, I pose this question in my sermon, and I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, sh- I, I'm sure I could theorize here. I, I'm not going to do that. I, but I think it's one of Satan's ploys. It's isolation is it's a big thing, right? I mean, when and why do we become so private in our worship? The, the problem is it's not just for you. Like, your worship, the, the words and the songs that come from your mouth, whether here on Sundays or Saturday nights or in-house gathering or through text or whatever, your worship is for me. Like, it's for my good. It's for my sanctification. It's for my help and aid and perseverance. Your worship is for each other. Not that, right, not that you're worshiping each other or worshiping me. You're worshiping God. But your worshiping in God has an impact on each other. It's for, it's not just for you. Instead, what Paul is encouraging us and pushing us towards here is that we're to exhort, instruct, and edify each other through spirit-filled singing. You ever been a part of spirit-empty singing? Huh? Yeah, I have. Lots of it. Does it help anybody? No. What's it feel like? What, what, what's going on? You're just encouraging legalism at that point. You're just encouraging l- religiosity at that point. How we can all just kind of sing songs about God and just be fake. So it just perpetuates fake religion. Or a religion that looks like fake Christianity, I should say. But we're to exhort, instruct, and edify through spirit-filled singing. Paul has in mind here this. One of the commentaries I read said this. He has in mind here intelligible communication. Intelligible communication. As opposed to meditation, speaking in tongues, etc. But this idea that we speak and sing in a way that is understandable and that it teaches something about God. You see, through these songs, members of our community, of our church, who are continually filled by the Spirit, we will instruct and edify and exhort each other. Again, your worship is not just for you. It's for the good of the body. It's for the growing of the body. It's for the perseverance of the body. It's for the joy of the body. It's for the holiness of the body. All of these things. Again, Paul is certainly talking about 
at the very least, formal worship, but also other occasions. Let me give you kind of the, the mirror passage of this in Colossians 3, verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What I want you to see here particularly is how do these songs come out? Like what, what's, going, what's going in? The Word of Christ. Let that dwell richly in you. And in so doing, you're teach, you'll be teaching, admonishing one another. So the, the, here's what I want to drive at. Is in order for this kind of communal living where we're singing in ways that edify and exhort one another, this requires the fullness of Christ. Which I would argue is the fullness of the is, is us being filled with the word of Christ. This is not some crazy emotional things that's oh, I hope I'm being filled with Christ. I hope I'm you know, like no, there's a practical aspect to this. This is not something that is elusive and we just kind of try and grab for it. It's no, we have it in the Word, and, and as we seek by the Spirit to be filled with the Word, we are being filled with Christ who is said to be the Word. But what I want to encourage us is, again, Paul is talking, that's why the ESV uses the word addressing. It's both in song and in speaking. When we sing songs corporately, we should be singing songs that edify each other. I was sharing with someone the other day our vision for why, what songs we sing. Uh, and I don't mean to imply that contemporary songs are not good. That's not, but I was talking to someone, and I said that we sing a lot of old hymns and modern hymns and, and some contemporary, and the person goes, oh, really? I figured you guys like sing all contemporary songs. And I'm like, why would you think that? Well, you know, it's a new young church, and like you got a band, and all he's saying, that's what you do. And I'm like, what rock were you underneath of? Like, no. What, what, what's going on? Like, what do we do? What, what do we sing? Why do we sing what we sing? And I, and I just went on to explain to her, no, we, we sing the songs we sing because our responsibility is to edify each other with the songs we sing. That they're supposed to instruct us in the ways of the Lord and the things about the Lord and instruct our hearts to sing the right tunes and the right melodies. And, and I said, honestly, a lot of contemporary music just doesn't do that. It just kind of fosters emo- shallow emotionalism. And, you know, they're kind of taken back by that statement. But when we speak, so when we sing songs, it should be to edify each other. When we speak to each other, our songs should be filled with truth and expressed in joy, right? You see, in this passage, the singing, again, is just a part of the addressing one another. This is the main point I want you to walk with, is it's not just in singing, but in addressing each other. How are we addressing each other? As ones having been filled with the Spirit, who are singing the right songs? Or are we addressing each other as those who are being filled with something else? And singing the wrong songs. Let me give you some implications of this. First of all, for corporate singing, and then implications for us, according to this passage, for doing life together in song. 
Implication for corporate singing. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. When you come to service on Sunday morning to sing, you have a responsibility. You have a role to play. Does that make sense? Like, you have a role, just like, you know, like on the city, every once in a while it pops up that you're supposed to serve in children's ministry, right? Like, whether that's in, day, uh, uh, in the nursery or that's in, you know, back with the older kids, whatever. Like, you have a responsibility. You have a role. Well, think of it this way. Every week, we should put a reminder on the city that you have a responsibility, a role to play when you come and sit in here. That you are to sing, and you're to sing as one filled with the Spirit, and you're to sing songs that edify each other, and you're to sing not just for yourself, but for each other. That is your goal. That is your responsibility. It's not an option. It's something that you get to do. Ask this question, and then get into another implication. Why would it not be okay, and I'm going to caveat this a little bit, to miss church frequently? Why would that not be okay? Or why would it not be okay to be one of those, you know, I stay home and listen to pastor sheets and, you know, deacon pillows or whatever, however that phrase goes, right? Why is it, you know, or, or to listen to the televangelist, right? Or the, you know, whether it's good actual preaching or just a bunch of... Uh, rhetoric that's worthless and damaging. Why would it not be okay? Why? Because you can't do this verse. You can't do this verse. You can't do this verse on your own. You have to be together to do this verse. Like, you just have to. There's no way around it. So it's not, we don't miss church because it's just the right thing to do. No, because we have a responsibility to do this verse, and we can't do that from home. So, f- literally, I mean, for, for most, if not everyone in our church, that's just meant to be an encouragement, to, to steady the ship, to keep doing what you're doing. Be encouraged with that. That's why we do, one of the reasons why we do what we do. One of the reasons why, in Hebrews, he says, do not forsake gathering together. Why? Because we need this, and we need each other in this. Here's another implication for corporate singing. It'd probably be helpful for your song to be not just on time, but to be early. It would be helpful. Right? I'm making sure I make eye contact with everybody, okay? Well, listen, I, I, unless you're just crazy abnormal, like I, ha- I, I get here early. Like I could walk in, like right at time, put on my microphone and walk up on stage. My heart's not going to be ready. It's just not. And I, like, even this, even this, like, I've been in the world. On Sunday mornings, I usually spend an hour-ish, somewhere in there, depending on how crazy the household is with my boys, in the Word, studying, praying, and then come. And for me, if I just walked in, like, I just wouldn't be ready. Now, if you can do that, I I might see a little bit of an exception there, because I'm not trying to draw a law here. I'm just trying to give us an implication for corporate singing. We have to come ready. We have to come ready. And we prepare our hearts to be ready. Which kind of gets me to my second implication, is that you should strive to come with a readied heart. 
a readied heart. You know a thing called Renovate Us? You ever heard of that? A few of you heard of that? I know at least one person who does it, uh, and I am thankful that she does. That's to help prepare your heart for worship. Like, that's to help ready your heart to come sing the right song and to sing it filled with the Spirit. That's what that tool's for. It's to help moisten the soil of your hard heart. That's what it's for. And you say, well, my heart's soft. Listen, a week in this world, and your heart, your heart you're going to be struggling to keep that heart soft all week long. It's just the way it is. This is a hard world to live in. And everything's pressing in on us to dry. Like everything I mean, from your neighbor to your kids to your spouse just the sinfulness in this world is soaking the moisture from your heart. And we all need help putting some rain on that soil. That's what Renovate Us is for. Mom and dad, particularly those who have kids in service, do renovate us with your kids. Help them prepare their hearts for Sunday. Help them. whether that means talking it through with them or just encouraging them to do it. Whatever that looks like for your child, for your kids. Here's another implication. You should come rested for worship. You should come rested for worship. If you've got a responsibility to play, do you think that it takes mental energy and physical energy if you've got a role to play? Yeah. Now, now, if you can stay up till 3 or 4 a.m. on Sunday morning, then drink a whole bunch of coffee, and then come in and be ready, I mean, I guess maybe you could do that. That's not why I drink coffee for the, or well, milk with coffee in it, for the record. I don't know if anybody knows, I, 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 I drink this, right? Of course, I've switched from hot drinks to cold. Uh, it's because I, I have a hard time eating breakfast on Sunday mornings. Like, just my stomach just gets in knots. Um, so I need something. Like I need some energy. I need some. So, so, yeah, and I know, right? There's ten thousand more healthy things that I could drink. I, I get that. I get that. I get that. I'll save you the exhortation. You should come rested. Come rested. Like, come so you don't nod off and doze. Like, and so your heart is ready and. And, and, and the Spirit is full in you. and Come ready. Like, why? Because it's, it's for all of us, not just you. This isn't just a time for you to come be recharged. Right? So you come in here, your battery's dead, and you get recharged. And thank God for that. Like, sometimes, yes, sometimes life is just hard that way, and, and God just orchestrated some different forms of suffering that just really pushed you to the end of your battery strength that week. And praise God, you get to come in here on Sunday mornings and be recharged, but how are you going to be recharged? Not just from preaching from me. You should be recharged from singing from each other. Both 
during service, after service, before service, at lunchtime, through the week. Okay. How about this? Implications for doing life together in song. Implications for doing life together in song. What song will you be singing today as you leave the building? Yes, I'm thinking a little abstractly, metaphorically here. I'm using the word song to kind of talk about the summary of our speech and the words that come from our mouth. So what does that look like? What are you proclaiming to each other? How do you address each other as you leave, as you come, as you go? Like just practically. When someone like walks by me, like I don't want them to, and if I've done this to you, I am so sorry. I don't want you to ever feel like Matt's just like, and you just walk by and Matt's just, like I don't want to sing that kind of song to you. I want to sing a song that says, I love you because the Father has loved me and He loves you. What does that look like? Hey, good morning, brother. Now whether I give you a big old hug or not, like, you know, don't read too much into that. Like, I, I want to sing the right song. I want to sing a song of, that you're affirmed. Why? Because the Father affirms you because of the blood of Jesus. And I want my face and my, my tone of my voice and whether I'm the embrace of, or the kiss on the cheek, right? Like that, that that makes you feel affirmed. Why? Because if you're a child of God, you are affirmed by the Father. And one of the ways that we're meant to experience the affirmation of the Father and the love of the Father is through each other. Why do you think we so oftentimes don't feel loved by God? Sometimes because we don't do a good job of helping each other feel loved. What song are we singing to each other? What song are you going to sing as you do life together this week? Realize that at any time, you can either be singing a joyful song of theological truth to each other or a song of darkness and slavery to each other. There's really no in-between. We sing songs that lead each other to touch heaven or we lead each other to remain in the bondage of sin. What are we singing to each other? Again, what the body needs is to be reminded of the joy we have in the truth of God all the time. All the time. From house gathering to Mondays to Wednesday or whenever your house gathering is and the days that it is not and Sunday. Like every day of the week is to be the time that you should be reminding each other of these things. Another implication is that the songs we sing matter. Right? So both corporately and through the week, the songs we sing matter. Let me have fun with a handful of you here for a few moments. Yes, shallow Christian songs can be unhelpful. Okay? Shallow Christian songs can be unhelpful. I want to go back to that in just a second. The songs we listen to matter. The songs we listen to matter. Why? Because they imprint truth or lies on our hearts. And we have to be careful. 
I'm not, t- listen, I'm not telling you to go burn all your secular CDs, okay? Or your metaphorical secular CD that looks like an iTunes account. Like, I'm not telling you to go do that, right? I'm saying that you have to watch it. You have to be careful because those songs imprint truths on your heart and then you turn around and sing. I'm sorry, those songs imprint information on your heart that can either be true or can be a lie. And then you will turn around and sing those songs. I'm saying you've got to be careful. So, yes, it matters what songs we listen to. Even shallow, mu- shallow Christian music can be just as bad for you as secular music. Right? It can be. Here's a practical reason. Here's why, all right? I'm sorry, I'm going to have some fun with a few of you. This is why I don't listen to K-Love, all right? I'm just going to say it. If you listen to K-Love, may God's strength be upon you. Here's what happens. Most of us let our guards down. We just let our guards down. We let our guards down. Why? Because it's positive and encouraging K-Love, right? It's Christian music. Do you know you can learn bad theology from Christian music? Did you know you can learn a shallow and very emotional way of viewing God from the songs you listen to? Like, we let our guard, we listen to terrible songs that, that have some resemblance of God, and then we wonder, but, but they're super shallow, and like, they're very emotionally driven, and it's more about us than it is about, just listen to most of the songs on there. Most of them are about us. Like they're about how like we kind of relate to God instead of singing things that we know about God. And there's a danger there. Not that we should never do that, but there's a danger there. And so it creates this kind of this perception of how we view God. We view God more through the lens of us instead of through the lens of His Scriptures. And so there's just this danger. And then we wonder why we don't have help in times of need when we need a joyful song to sing to remind our hearts. Because the only song we have to sing is, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high. You know what? I mean, I know Caleb has moved on from that, but like, well, that's awesome. Right? Does anyone know that song? Right? Okay. Okay. Sorry if I just stepped on your favorite. Okay. If you like that song, please enjoy it. <laughs> I, I put this in my notes. I, I might regret it after I say it, but like too much Tomlin will kill you. Okay. And I have here, yes, I said it. Like, like it might. Like, right. It's supposed to be kind of a joke with a little bit of a warning in there. Here's the point. Here's the point. You're learning his theology in the way he views God. Now, now sometimes, sometimes some of those songs are good, right? I'm not saying throw the whole thing out. And, and I really don't even mean to pick on Tomlin. He's just kind of the face of contemporary Christian worship music, CCWM, I'm going to make up something. Um, like, he's kind of the face of that. But we're just going to be careful. We're just going to be careful. Again, I'm not telling you don't listen to K-Love, all right? I'm just saying. Like, like I started listening to uh, Page 116. It's a band that just does a whole bunch of hymns. And uh, we've, I think we've done, well, Jesus, I am resting, resting. 
that song, I think we did just uh, did an awesome job on that. It's about a month or so ago, and and I, these are just encouraging songs that help us think rightly about God. So, anyways, there you go. Take that for what it's worth. The songs you sing reflect your level of joy. They reflect what's going on in your heart. And that's kind of this continual thought that I'm wanting to be the undertone of what we're talking about here, because that's what Paul's doing. Now, Paul is telling us that a spirit-filled person will not only sing joyful and theological songs to each other, but that they will also that they must also sing with their whole being to the Lord Jesus. Sing with their whole being to the Lord Jesus. Right? So the two planes, or the two axes, right? This one and this one. Now we're on the vertical plane and not the horizontal plane. We're going to not spend as much time on this plane, but we are going to a few minutes. So look what he says. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Just singing songs and making music, I think, should be considered kind of one. Like, it's a unity here. It's a unit. Singing and making melody with Melody to the Lord with your heart. Here's a struggle we have. We like to compartmentalize our hearts, or compartmentalize, rather, our worship. I mean, you want to put our worship as kind of in this area, kind of, but not in this area. This idea of heart, he says, with your heart. He is not talking about some kind of inward disposition as though we should make a melody with kind of a silent worship, as if it's something that's just merely internal, okay? Or just merely one part of our life or another. I think we have this tendency... Again, kind of back to the beginning, or not the beginning, but we're talking about singing not just for ourselves and making song not just for ourselves but for each other. It's kind of a similar thing here. We have a tendency to make this an eternal, an internal aspect. And then in the internal parts of our hearts, we have this tendency to say, well, I worship God with my mind or I worship God with my heart, right? All of us probably are prone to one or the other. I worship God with my mind, or I worship God with my heart. Some of us are very mind people. Some of us are very heart people. Well, I worship God with my mind. I like to think upon great truths about God. Oftentimes, with no heart. Never a pull on the strings of your affections. Well, I worship God with my heart. I like to feel God. I like to have my affections stirred. I don't need to spend that much time in scriptures. I just, I don't need to discipline my mind. I just want to feel him. But Paul's, Paul's not talking, but Paul's point is not that we can just worship God with certain parts, 
There is no compartmentalization to your worship. It's either your whole self is worshiping God or nothing is worshiping God. Heart here signifies this, the whole being, your whole self is worshiping and making a melody unto God. Right? This is not a foreign concept, right? We talked about this particularly in the Old Testament. The idea of heart is kind of the, the, uh, the seat of your existence. The entire person should be filled with songs of praise. If this is happening, then it's the, the result of the filling of the Spirit. And here's the, I think here's the other point. If this happens... It'll come out. Like it'll come out. Like out. Right? That is part of Paul's point here, is that our worship has to come out. Our worship is not just for the quiet and God to hear, but it's for the body. It's for coming out. And when our whole being is engaged in worship, then the whole body of Christ will benefit from it. The last thing I want to say is this. This is what your heart needs. This is what your whole being needs. Your heart, listen to me church, your heart desperately needs to be filled with the right song and it desperately needs to be singing it loudly. You need this. No other song will do. When you look back over this past week, I told you, think about what songs were you singing at different points of the week. The only song that will satisfy your being is the song that sings of His great name. That's the only song that will, that will work. It's the only song that will be enough. The song that proclaims, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. A couple nights ago, Sarah and I were discussing at dinner, why is it so easy? This was the question. Why is it so easy for us to go a whole day under the weight of discouragement and depression and anything short of being happy in God? Uh, there's multiple ways to answer this. but And we weren't asking that just looking out. We were asking that for ourselves. Why is it easy to do that? Upon looking at this passage, I think it's because we're so enthralled by singing the wrong songs. And why do we sing the wrong songs? Because we believe the wrong theology. We believe the wrong things about God. Listen, if you believe, I'm going to give a few examples here. If you believe my life is valuable if my kids turn out to love Jesus. If you believe my life is awesome if my finances look a certain way. If, if you believe I am valuable if I have enough wisdom on my own. If you believe I am fulfilled if I get to do my calling. If you believe I am fulfilled if I get even my good dreams. You're singing the wrong song. You're singing the wrong song. Why? Because you're believing the wrong theology. You're believing the wrong things about God. 
child of God, you don't sing. My life is valuable if this happens. Or I can be fulfilled if these things happen. You sing these because of the work of Jesus. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we believe the wrong things, so we sing the wrong songs. And then we're preaching these. As we sing these songs, we're preaching these to each other. We're preaching these to our spouse. We're reinforcing bad theology in our families. What melody does your family sing? Listen, if I'm thinking about community here, thinking about the church, if you're singing the wrong song, you will have a hard time connecting with other people who are singing the right songs. Why? Because those who who are singing the right songs don't want to hear the wrong songs. Like it sounds, it sounds just bad. And on the flip side, those who sing the wrong songs don't want to hear people who sing the right songs. Why? Because it's not music to their ears either. We just have to, another thing I would say, we have to be careful because we can do all the right spiritual things. We can read our Bibles. We can pray and still sing the wrong songs. Okay? So here's what I want to do. We're, we're about done. But I want to tie all these, these thoughts together. How do we begin to get at the singing? Right? How do we begin to get at singing the right songs? Singing to God and singing to each other in an edifying way. Addressing each other in an edifying way. You can't just start singing. You want to know why you can't just start singing? Because the problem is not whether or not you're singing. You're already singing. The problem is what song are you singing? So you can't just start singing, and you can't just start singing the right songs. It's not the way it works. These songs are coming from a filling of Christ by the Spirit. So this has to be fixed at a, at a heart level, at a filling level. I want to leave you with this main thought. God is both the audience and the voice of our praise. He is both the audience and the voice of our praise. Like what another pastor said, he says this, he says, it is the filling of our hearts by the Spirit that gives rise to the praise of our hearts. It is the filling of our hearts by the Spirit that gives rise to the praise of our hearts. What do I mean by that? It's the filling of the Spirit that is the voice of our praise. We are the instrument by which God becomes present, think about this, in praise to Himself. Did you think about that? The Spirit fills us, out comes His voice, about whom? Himself. The Spirit fills, and we become the instrument by which God sings praises to Himself. Did you hear that? Like, that you're 
an instrument that is God's, that He works and molds and like uses to bring praise to Himself. Listen, we are generating the voice of God for the praise of God in our worship. We are generating the voice of God for the praise of God in our worship. Both when we speak and sing the truth to each other, we do so to God and by God. Do you realize how much more glorious that makes your praise? than you could even imagine. That here you are a creature being used by God to sing praises about God. That's incredible. Like if that doesn't astound you, then you need to go spend some time understanding creator and creature. That that could happen. That that could happen. I mean, it's just amazing. But it's also encouraging, right? But it's encouraging going, okay, so that's how this has to happen, is that I need to be used by God to sing praises to God. So how do I be used by God? Right? That's the next question that comes out. How do I be used by God to sing praises to God? And that's where I'm reminded that God can take your sinful heart and lead it to sing His praise in such a way that it glorifies Him and does what else? leads others to commune with Him. So how does He do this? How does He do that, right? How is it that our hearts sing praises with the voice of God to God? It's through none other than the work of His Son, Jesus, on the cross. And I ask this question to myself, and I will ask it to you today. You've heard the word doxology, right? That's like the singing of our theology and the praise of, that's birthed from our, like theology leads to doxology. And so the question, what is the doxology of your life? What is the song? I hate to use this, but uh, if you're a fan of casting crowns, what is your life song, right? What is your life song? Every one of you just starts singing. What does your life song look like? I think for many of us it looks like this. I wrote a song for you. Okay? Praise me from whom all good things flow. Praise me all friends who see my throne. Praise me above, ye heavenly host. Praise me, the one who's right the most. Amen. <laughs> right? That's the song. That's the song. What's that? That's the song of my kingdom. And that's the song of your kingdom. 
This is the doxology that we most often all of us sing. What does this say about our theology? What does this say about what we believe? About who we are and who God is? You see, the person who sings that song is, is filled with themselves and their righteousness and their deeds. But what is the song of the person who is filled with the Spirit? Right? If we understood to any depth Paul's doxology in chapter 1, that's what we would sing. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I will speak it to you. Praise our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him who has blessed us in Christ with every good and right thing. Praise God because He elected us dreadful sinners. Praise Him who decided to adopt us as sons. Praise Him that He did so because of His glorious grace. Praise Him that we have redemption through His blood. And praise Him that He chose us to be holy and blameless so that we might once again commune with Him in the Holy of Holies. Praise Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I pray that our songs would sing, they would be loud, and that, Father, we would sing the right songs. What are these songs Paul has listed here for us? They're not different styles of singing necessarily, but they're all the common thread between all of them is a recounting of your truth that you have given to us. The thread through all of these is that that you alone are worthy of praise and glory. The thread through all of these is that we are the ones who are not worthy of praise and glory, but have been chosen by you to give praise and glory to you. And the other common thread is that we do this for you and for each other. Paul is implying here is that many things, but one of the things is that we need the songs of our brothers and sisters. We need to know that we stand in this room together singing songs. And we need to know when we walk out of this room, we need to hear the songs from our brothers and sisters as we address each other. We need to hear these songs as we sit down at lunch tables throughout the week. Father, as we sit in house gatherings and in DNA groups and as we talk over the phone and as we send texts. That we would sing the right songs. Father, for your glory. 